Let's be turning to John 16. John 16. I want to look at verses 5 through 11 with you. In this passage, our Lord is speaking to his disciples. This is a message to the apostles, and it is for us also. And he's speaking here of his departure, and that's going to lead to him sending the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter of the Lord's people. Now, in this passage, what I want to look at with you tonight is what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ accomplished in his departing and what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in his coming. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplishes in his departing and what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in his coming. Our Lord says now in verses 5 and 6, But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Our Lord here acknowledges the sorrow of his people. He, our Lord, cares for you. He cares for you that are his people. We may not always think that, but the Lord is very tender, very kind, very good, very gracious. There's none good but God. God is good. He's very good, and he acknowledges their sorrow here. And you can imagine all the questions that were filling their minds. They probably had a lot of questions in hearing, Lord, you're going away? How then will the kingdom be established? When is the kingdom going to be established? We know they were expecting the kingdom to be established with a physical Messiah in that day when Christ was there. They were expecting it then. And they had many questions, many questions. And think about it also, their friend is going to depart. And I say that because he called them friends, didn't he? Back just just recently, and, and he said, I call you friends, you're my friends. And they're going to lose a dear friend, and they're going to be without his presence. They're going to be without his teachings and his comfort and explanations. He's not going to be there. Every day they woke up and they were with their Lord. And now he's departing from them. For three, three, three plus years they had been with Christ and followed him. And our Lord mentions this here where he says, And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? I think he's saying that they're only thinking of themselves. (laughs) When he said, I'm leaving, all they could think of is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're only thinking of themselves. And so the Lord fills in some of the blanks in telling them that another is coming. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. 
Now, we know, we have a sense of what the Lord is, is saying here. He's telling them that he's returning to his Father. This is implied in verse 5 when he says, I go my way to him that sent me. And then he says it plainly in verse 10, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. But in this verse, there's an emphasis here on his departure being expedient. It's expedient. Now that word expedient tells us it means that it's good. It is good for you. It's profitable for you that I go away. It's for your edification. It's for your good. And here they are. All they can think of is themselves right now. They're only thinking of themselves. What are we going to do? They're not even asking them, where are you going, Lord? Or how are you going, Lord? They're not asking them where he's going. They're thinking of themselves But in this we see the faithfulness of the Savior to think of them also. (laughs) They're thinking of themselves, and he's thinking of them. And he's caring for them and providing for them. Here is his faithfulness as our Savior, as our provider, as the shepherd of his sheep. Because he does always that which is profitable for his sheep. We know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are called according to purpose. And your God has a good purpose for you, his child. He loves you. He's called you. He's gathered you by his grace under the preaching of the gospel. He has gathered you and he keeps you. And so he does what is for your profit and what is for the good of all his people, all the people of God. It's for their good that he's going. It's for their good that he is going. And it says, For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. And if I go, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So, there's many blessings, many blessings that are packed in this coming of the Comforter, the coming of the Holy Ghost. There's many blessings packed in what our Lord is saying here. And what the, what the Lord is, what I'm saying is that there's a lot that is going to be accomplished in Christ departing and the Spirit coming. There's a lot that's going to happen in between Christ leaving and, and the Holy Spirit coming. And he says, None of you asketh, asketh me, Whither goest thou? Meaning, where are you going? Where was Christ going? Where was he, he going? He's talking about what he must accomplish in order to return to his Father. You think about that. He's going to the Father. There's a lot still to be done. There's a lot to be done from where he is and to his going to the Father. There's a lot that's going to be done that's going to be packed into these next few days. And, and his return to the Father and then the sending of the Comforter to his people. And so no one's thinking about what our Lord is soon going to endure. 
They're not thinking about what's, what's, what he's going to endure in order to make it his departing expedient for them and for you, his children. No one's thinking about that. No one's asking him, where are you going, Lord? How is this going to be expedient or good for us? Well, let's, let me just go through. This is where Christ is going. This is where, in order for him to go to the Father and to send the Spirit, this is where Christ is going. First of all, they all know that he came from the Father. They've confessed, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. They've made that confession, and yet none are asking, where goest thou? We know from reading the gospel that Christ is soon, that very night, going to be arrested. He's going to be arrested, and in his arrest, he thinks and provides for his sheep, saying, take me, but let these go. Let these go their way. And they did. They were let go. Only Christ was taken. So he would be arrested. And then following his arrest, he would be taken to the Jewish Sanhedrin and there put on a mockery of a trial. All night long, they would have a mock trial going on in order to try and justify their condemnation of Christ. And then their mock trial would be followed by another mockery of a trial by the Gentiles, by the Roman government. So we see both Jew and Gentile judged him and rejected him. They rejected him. And then, following that trial, he will be condemned to die. And he'll be hung on a tree. Not for any crimes that he has done, but he'll be hung on a tree. And Pilate puts up a sign on his cross that says that here's the, the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. And you think about the power of, of what that means for us. Because a king, a, a good king, a true king, a mighty king is a deliverer of his people. He's a provider for his people. He's a sustainer of his people. That's the kind of king you want to have. And how few have that. But the Lord, all that are the Lord's people, they have that in King Jesus. He is the king, and here is the king of the Jews, the deliverer of his people. That's what the Lord's declaring and having Pilate put that up there. He's the deliverer for the true Jews, all true Jews, Jew and Gentile. And he's going to be sacrificed on a tree bearing that sin the sin of his people, the curse of his people, as their substitute, as their surety, come to pay their debts. He's going to make full satisfaction to holy God for the sins, the crimes, the filth, the rebellion, the sicknesses and the diseases, all that pollutes us and corrupts us and destroys us and has ruined us, Christ bears all that in his own body, on the tree, as the Lamb of God, to forever put it away. He's going to bear that holy, just, almighty, fierce wrath of God being poured out upon him in the place of every one of his sheep given to him, to his care, committed to his redemption in the before the foundation of the world. And so he bears it, and he 
dies on the cross, making full atonement, having accomplished the deliverance of his people from that wrath which is coming upon the inhabitants of the earth. There's a wrath. The wrath of God is coming upon the inhabitants of the earth. And Christ has delivered his people there on the cross from that coming wrath. And he'll be wrapped. He'll die there on the cross. And he'll be taken down, his body wrapped, and he'll be put into a tomb. And a great stone that takes many men to move it will be rolled in front of that entrance. But Christ will rise again the third day, just as he spoke, according to the the sign of the prophet Jonas. He shall rise again the third day, and he's going to show himself to his brethren for a witness unto them, declaring that he has accomplished the very promised salvation that God made in the beginning and throughout all the scriptures that he shall save his people from their sins. And so when the Lord raised Christ from the dead, that resurrection from the dead, God was testifying that everything that was necessary has been done and accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done the whole thing. And he's declaring that this one is the very Christ of God. He is the Christ of God our Lord and our Savior, our King, our all. And then after these things, after he appears to the brethren and shows himself to the brethren for witness, to strengthen them, to encourage them, he's going to be taken up into the clouds, ascending up into heaven, back to his Father, and there he'll be coronated King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he'll be seated on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, ruling and reigning, doing all things according to the will of God, taking that book and opening the seals of the book because he is worthy, worthy. He's, he's, he is the king. And so from henceforth, while he's doing that, henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And so the securing of all these blessings of his grace, that occurs between right now when he's there speaking to his disciples, telling them of the Comforter. From that point all the way till the time when the Comforter comes, that's what Christ is doing. That's where he's going. And no one's asking him, where are you going, Lord? What do you got to do to go to the Father? What do you have to do to return to the Father? I've got to make full satisfaction for you, my child. I've got to put away all your sin and provide a covering for your sin to make an atonement with my own blood my life for your life, that you should be righteous in me and be accepted of holy God, my Father, and dwell with me forever and ever and ever, kingdom without end. And so that's all occurring. And he says, when I depart, then I'll send to you the comforter. And so what our Savior did was selfless. It was selfless. It was for us. He, yes, he is glorified, but he did it for the good of his people. It is expedient for us that he departed. And that's not being grasped by them, but but we understand now that it is good. It is for our good. When you read in the scriptures that God is good, that's what we see. He's provided everything for, for us. And it's only the flesh 
that questions and doubts and wonders what God is doing or doubts what he's doing, that's only the flesh. That's only our corruption. Because truly, according to the witness of the scriptures and the witness of his spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, we know Christ, our God, is good. And it is expedient for us what he did for us. And we have much to be thankful for in it. Now, that's what Christ accomplished in his departing. And now we look at what the Spirit accomplishes in his coming. John 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now this word reprove is a legal word. It's it's what a a lawyer would do in a court of law of law in order to bring a conviction. He would prove beyond a shadow of a doubt the crimes committed by the defendant. He would answer every question, he would satisfy any any inquiry that might be made, he would satisfy it fully so that there was only one conclusion. That man is guilty. He's a sinner. He is the sinner. He has committed the crime of which he is accused of. And so it's a legal word, and it means to overwhelmingly convince beyond a shadow of a doubt. And there's three things that he does this with regards to his children, his sheep scattered throughout the world. It's in regards to sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he's going to do this for the lost sheep scattered throughout the world, right? It says when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. He's effectual. His call is effectual. That world means exactly what, what, what it means, which is it's not limited to the Jews only. It's for Jews and Gentiles, whosoever they are, They are the Lord's people whom he chose scattered throughout the world. And so the Spirit of God will take of this word, and he'll use the preaching of the gospel, but the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches each child, each one chosen of God, he teaches them in the heart. Many are called, many come and hear the preaching Hopefully, they're hearing the preaching of the gospel. How few really do hear the preaching of the gospel. But even under the gospel, the sound of the gospel, many are called, but few are chosen. And it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It's the Holy Spirit that attends that word and blesses that word and makes his children to hear that word, to receive that word, and to believe that word so that he effectually opens the heart and he, he applies that word to his children and convicts the sinner in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Because the Father seeketh such to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, we're going to look at these three things, sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The scriptures tell us that all that is required for salvation has been satisfied in Christ. What he did in departing He provided everything for salvation in his departure. And the scriptures tell us that all that's required 
for you that are sinners, for you that have no righteousness of your own, and know that God is holy and perfect in your works, are stinky and vile. They are not good works, and they will not save you. They will not deliver you from the wrath of God. But the scriptures teach us that all that is required is faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in the scripture, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right? He never speaks of what else you have to do, what you have to know, what you must be taught, what knowledge you must have. He just says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Thou shalt be saved. Now turn over to Romans nine, uh, 10, Romans 10, and let's look at verses 9 through 13. I just want to reiterate this point here that faith is required for salvation. I'm, I'm, I have a point. <clears throat> In verse 9 there, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so that's faith. It's faith which believes that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the salvation of God. Faith lays hold of that. For with the heart Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So that you believe and you confess that which is in your heart by faith looking to Christ. You confess that he is salvation, that he is your righteousness. He is your hope to stand before almighty God. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You shall not come short of that which you seek in Christ. You will never come short of it. You won't be ashamed. You won't go away empty. You shall be satisfied. You shall be received of the Father. That's his promise to you. That's his promise to you. For there is no difference between the Jew and the, and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Right? And that's what we see in the scripture. There's no universal salvation. But there is a universal Savior in the sense that there is but one Savior. There is but one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's one salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. One salvation, one Savior. And whosoever shall call upon him, upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. You see that? So the only thing that the scriptures tell us that's required is faith. It's faith, the faith which the Lord gives you. Now, having said that, you're going to know Christ. You're going to know Christ and know about him and what he's done through the preaching of the word and through the work of the Holy Spirit, making that word effectual to your heart, to your understanding that Christ is the Savior. You're going to know it. He's going to convince you of it. He's going to make sure that you know now, only faith is required. However, we always see the work of the Holy Spirit convicting his people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We always see them together. They're always together. The scriptures say, believe. That's all we see. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, the Holy Spirit is always there to make that effectual 
and to manifest, reveal that faith in your heart which looks to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on him. And so, wheresoever the Holy Spirit conviction is, there will be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he does not fail. He is effectual in what he comes to do for every lost sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be gathered. You shall be gathered. You shall believe. You shall be kept. Believe him. Trust him. Don't go by feelings. Right? Feelings have no part. You know, you can convict somebody and feel bad about it, but they broke the law. There's a conviction to be made. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't do it with, with feelings. He convicts you and shows you, Lord, you're just, and you'll take sides with God against yourself, knowing, God, you are just and right. You're perfect and holy. Now, verse 9, he convicts of sin, he reproves of sin, because they believe not on me. This will be a little bit longer of a point than the next two. They, they of sin because they believe not in me. When Christ came, his very presence, his teachings, his works, when he came doing what he did and saying what he said, and they, they, they responded saying, never any man spake like this man. This, wow, I've never heard this. And when he came and spoke what he spoke, which was the words of the Father, the Father gave him to speak, and what he did, and what he did was what the Father gave him to do. Those works and those words were of the Father, and Christ did them faithfully, perfectly, as the man of God, as the Son of God, as the Christ of God. And he showed, it revealed that as men and women, we don't know God. We don't know him. We're in darkness. We don't know who, who God is. We, they, were, they were laboring under the law, thinking that was their righteousness, thinking that they could honestly please God by their filthy, polluted works. And now Christ is departing. That one who, who showed us the true and living God, who showed us the Father, who made us to know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Now he's departing. Now he's going away. And man is not going to believe that he is the Christ except the Spirit come and make him known to us. Convince us that he is the Christ. Convincing me that I cannot save myself and God has provided all my salvation in Christ. Everything needed perfectly in Christ and the goodness of our Savior. Now all belief all unbelief is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And faith is believing God. Not that God exists. That's a given. Even the devils know that God exists. But rather, faith looks to the Savior. Faith believes the promises of God. Faith receives what God has said, that everything is given to us and provided to us and all the spiritual blessings of God and every blessing we have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all given in Him. Now there's six things regarding sin that the Holy Ghost convicts His children of. And, and we don't always think of it in this way. We don't always see it or fully understand it in this way, but we, we do understand it as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
First of all, of these six things, the Lord shows us that sin is a fact. We are sinners. We are sinners, and the Holy Spirit convicts us that we are sinners. We know that we all sinned in Adam, that we were shapen in iniquity, and we come forth sinners. Rebels against God, talking what we want to talk about, doing what we want to do, and caring for ourselves. We're, we are sinners. And in Adam is where that sin entered in, and death, that death through sin. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And we've sinned in Adam in the garden, and rebellion against God, and we continue to sin in our persons. Second, sin is man's attack on God. Man is coming after God. He wants to dethrone God. He is a rebel against the true and living God, and he hates God and despises God. And that's seen back in the garden, and that's seen right after the flood. Right When they built that Tower of Babel, they're going after God. They were building a tower up to the heavens, that they would overthrow the true and living God. So, And that's where, where man is today. He's trying to demonstrate that he doesn't need God. And he's trying to figure out a way to live forever and not need God. He's always looking for the, the fountain of youth, so to speak. He wants to make himself a God and sit in the place of God and, and be like God. He wants to rob God of everything and take it all for himself. And so sin is an attack. It's an affront against the true and living God. And the Holy Spirit convicts his child of it. That what we're doing is an affront, is an attack on God. And when we squirm and get angry and bitter that we can't do what we would do because we can't work out our sin as we would work it out, the Holy Spirit shows us that's sin. That's vile, wretched sin. David said, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. So we see that our sin is an attack on, on God. We're sinners. And our sin is an attack on God. Third, the Holy Spirit convinces his child of the folly of sin. Meaning, we're going to be made to know what fools we are. To think that we can sin with impunity against God and not, and not pay for that sin. That there's not some punishment or justice, judgment by God for our sin and the sins that we commit. The Lord tells us, don't be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so, when we would pursue our sin in defiance against God, we're playing a foolish game. All right, what do they say these days now? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes? That's what, I mean, that's what you're, you're signing up for. If you continue in your sin against God, you're going to come into judgment, the judgment of God is what the scriptures say. Now, fourth, the Holy Spirit convinces us of the filth of our sin. He makes us to know just how vile, how gross, how ruinous, how destructive our sin is. Sin ruins people. It ruins relationships. It destroys 
that fellowship and trust and happiness and joy and love and peace. Sin is a wrecker. It's a destroyer. It ruins us. It ruined our fellowship with the true and living God. And the Spirit makes his child to know our sin, my sin, is filthy. It's filthy. And not to be coddled and made excuses for. It's filthy. Fifth, the Holy Spirit convinces us that we are sin. In other words, we're not the victims of sin. Right? Everything's not happening to me. Woe is me because everybody else is bad. I'm just as bad. Yes, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes bad things happen to us. But there's a lot of times I'm dishing it out too. I'm, I'm also a fountain of sin in, a, in, in the fleshly heart of my nature. It's a fountain of sin. Six, the Holy Spirit convinces us that the wages of my sin is death. The wages of my sin is, is death. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And so the Spirit makes us to know that we're sinners. He makes each child to know, I am the sinner. I'm the problem. I'm the sinner. I'm the one who deserves the, ju the judgment of God. And the more we understand about what we are, the more we see, yep, like David said, I was shapen in iniquity. And I came forth of corrupt vile seed in Adam, of my parents, and my kids are sinners, and I'm a sinner. We're all sinners, and we're, we're dead in trespasses and sins by nature. And so we see this, but there's a good purpose in it. <laughs> For you that are his children, there's a good purpose in showing you. Because the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise might be given to them that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to shut us up, to, to, to stop us from thinking that I can save myself. I can work this. Just give me a little more time, God. I got this. I'll figure it out. No, you won't. No man ever did. <laughs> they all perished in their sin who tried to come to God in their own works. And so the Spirit brings us to see, I cannot save myself. I'm undone. How can a man be just with God? And so everything we do is defiled with sin. Paul, even the Apostle Paul, cried out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He was made to see. It's not, he didn't skirt around it. Oh, you're a child of God now, so I wink and pretend I didn't see that. It's okay for you. No, it isn't. Sin is sin. Sin is vile. It's vulgar. It's ruinous. It's destructive. It's what I am by nature. And the Lord shows us what, what it is. That we would cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so every child of God is going to know that I'm a guilty sinner worthy of the condemnation of God. And if he cast me, were to cast me into hell, he would be just to do it. Because then my whole life would have been a sham anyway. And therefore, he's just to do it. He's just to do it. Based on my sin and my sin only. And so... The only hope of any sinner is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit convinces us of sin so that we aren't fooled and deceived thinking that we're something when we're nothing, but rather to show us that Christ is all. And so that brings us to the next point.
point of righteousness in verse 10, John 16, 10, of righteousness, a reprove of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. So our God demands perfect righteousness. He demands perfect righteousness and the Holy Spirit convinces the lost sinner that God requires perfect righteousness and he's going to get it. He's going to have perfect righteousness for all whom he receives. It's, it's imperfect justice and holiness. It's just of God to forgive sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit convinces us of the precious, effectual blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to see, to behold, to believe that what he did on the cross was for my salvation. He bore my sins. He bore my death. He took my place. He laid down his life that I should go free from that condemnation and that judgment of God and live with him forever. The Spirit convinces us of that. So vile is our sin that God would not spare his own son. That's another thing that the Spirit shows us, that, that that's how horrible our sin is. That's how deadly, how wicked our sin is, that he put to death his own son as the Christ, as the mediator, as the Lamb of God, as the Savior, because sin had to be justly condemned and dealt with. It had that the price had to be paid. And that's what he's showing us. If there had been a law given which could have given life, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. It would have been by the The Lord would have done it. But the death of Christ shows us that there's nothing we can do. And the only way for God to justly justify us, to justify us in perfect righteousness is to justify us in the Lord Jesus Christ. To send him to lay down his life. And God slew, the Father slew his own son as the sacrifice to make an atonement for our sins. Just like we saw in the garden when God slew those cattle to picture that's what they deserved, but these animals gave up their life for a clothing, a covering of your nakedness, thereby picturing what Christ has done for us. His life was shed, was slain, and his blood shed to provide a covering of righteousness of our nakedness and shame. That we would now stand before God in a beautiful, white, righteous robe. Accepted, smelling, sweet-smelling robe of Christ's savor unto the Father. So our God did that for us. So any man coming... To God in his own works is going to face a holy God who will justly condemn him, who will justly judge him, and that man will die in his sins because he despised God's righteousness. He said, God, you're a liar, and I don't believe your son. I don't believe that he's able to do that or what you're doing here. And that man will meet God, a holy, angry God, in his own works and be cast into hell forever. But you that come to God in Christ will be received, will be accepted of the Father because you believe the promise of God made unto you in Christ. You've been convicted by the Holy Spirit and convinced by the Holy Spirit of what sinners 
you are and what sinner I am and what sinners we are and to behold the righteousness of God and the Lord Jesus Christ that he's provided everything and that's how we come not because we're good in ourselves and got it all figured out it's because the spirit has convinced us of sin and of his righteousness and and has given us that faith to believe to lay hold of Christ our righteousness he's done it all he's given us even the faith that lays hold of him and so that's what the spirit reproves us of and now verse 11 of judgment because the prince of this world is judged so the spirit thoroughly convinces the lost sheep of Christ that we are absolutely worthy of God's judgment, and he shows us the sufficient, all-glorious merit of Christ's death for sinners, and he reveals Christ to our heart in faith. And now this judgment is threefold that he, he reproves us of. First, I know that sin is judged, that all sin is judged by God, either God judges the sinner who committed it, or God judges that sinner in Christ who bore that sin for his child. They're either judged in their own works, in their own selves, or they're judged in Christ, whose righteous works are our works. Whose righteousness is our righteousness, and who what he did is what we did in him. And second, I know that God's judgment is just. It's deserved by men. Why? For their sin. Because sin is a fact. Sin is an affront to God. It's an attack on God. Sin is foolishness. It's not going to last. You're not going to stand before God. Sin is filthy. It flows from my heart. Sin flows from my heart. And God has promised the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It will die the second death. And then third, I know that for the believer... Judgment is over. Judgment is satisfied. All things have been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's put away my sin forever. You that believe, he's put away your sin. You believe that he is all your righteousness because your sin is put away. You're not proving nothing. Christ has done it. And the faith which he gives you, which continues to look to him, is the, the revelation of his love and mercy, and kindness, and peace for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll keep you looking to Christ. And so that sin of that, that you committed is put away forever, forever by the faithfulness of Christ who redeems us with his own, who redeemed us with his own blood. And so judgment is satisfied for the people of God. And he's wrought salvation in the heart of every one of his children which believes on him. And, and we see that and know that through the revelation of faith that looks to Christ and hopes in Christ and believes him and loves him for what he's done for us. And so having looked at what Christ did, when he, what he accomplished when he departed and what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in his coming, do you see now why it was expedient for Christ to go to the Father? It was expedient, wasn't it? It, it was good. It's good for us. What he did there in, in accomplishing that is very, very good, very profitable for 
the people of God. And so he went, he accomplished that salvation so that faith in Christ is all we need. And he gives that faith. That's all that's required is faith. And in addition to that, the Spirit comes to ensure that you are convinced of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That you are convinced that Christ is salvation. Because we always see those things together. And he came in order to reveal that faith in your heart. Bless his holy name and rejoice in him that you are a child of God by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You that believe. Amen.